This podcast series is not meant for retail investors, but instead is meant for financial advice and investment professionals. Please refer to IMAP's website, imap.asn.au, for more details. So welcome to this podcast in the IMAP Independent Thought Series. Today, I'm joined by James Kingston and Pedro Marin. James is Head of Wealth Solutions for BlackRock in Australia, and Pedro is the Managing Director of Marin Wealth. And today we're going to discuss tomorrow's clients. Who are they? What are the demographic shifts that are occurring that advisors need to think about? And what are the needs of these different groups of clients? So perhaps, James, if if you'd like to to head off, I know you've done a a lot of work on future clients and demographic changes and so on. Would you like to talk about what you see as the outlook in the next five to 10 years for changes in the advisor's client base? Yeah, absolutely. And, and thanks for having me on the podcast today. Um, this is something that I've been talking about for a while now. It's a, I think it's something that the industry is very much focused on. Um, if you look at the expectations we have on intergenerational wealth transfer over the next 10 to 20 years, there's around 75 trillion US dollars in motion from the older generations to the younger. Uh, in Australia, that's around three and a half trillion Aussie dollars. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of money in motion. Um, if you combine that with the fact that we are seeing obviously a demographic shift, we're more people move into retirement um, over the next few years. Um, and that's going to have a huge impact on how we service clients. Um, but we also see the younger generation kind of coming up the curve in terms of their wealth and their ability to, to earn money. Um, so the millennials are not far off actually reaching their peak in terms of earning capacity. And as they grow and, and generate wealth, we also have to, have to try and service them and meet their needs. So we've got you know, very diverging different ways of having to engage with these clients. You've got the the close to retirees or retirees. You've got those who are still in accumulation, but probably uh, at the latter stages of accumulation. And then you've got the younger generations coming through. So the younger millennials and and the Gen Zs. Uh, And that's not even thinking about their kids, kind of Gen Alpha and beyond. Um, So if you think about that, we have to kind of understand how to engage with them. There's there's a different way that they're kind of looking to engage. There's different investing preferences. Um, And as we also kind of see within Australia, um, reducing number of advisors, more people generating wealth, how do we get scale within our advice practices to actually service more clients? Because that's going to be the need of this kind of, um, of of what the the future is going to look like. so those are the kind of the trends that we're seeing. Uh, I'm sure, Pedro, you're probably seeing exactly the same thing in, in, in your client cohort too. Correct. Yes. And uh, obviously, before I even say uh, anything, I also want to uh, thank David for um, having me in the podcast today. Um, you are 100% correct. Um, there is a quite a broad, even in Australia, Australia, we haven't even put the variable of foreigners. Uh, Australia is a, a, a huge uh, uh, attractive nation for uh, foreign individuals that have absolutely no idea about the system. And that increases the demographics of who comes here. Um, because, for example, you're talking to me, I chose Australia 16 years ago, uh, but eventually I progressed to a bigger role, my income increase. So my needs were changing as I was developing, uh, but I had no idea about the system. Uh, but I think the 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 type of clients uh, that are, are are hungry for advice at the moment uh, seems to be, weirdly enough, uh, females first. 
which is in the last couple of years, the females uh, are, are driving the 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 ship in a in a very different way than before. They're either either if they're single, they're coming ahead first. Like, look, I need advice. They know the limits. They know the the value of advice. But even if they're in a in a relationship, uh, they are the ones who are driving the boat. Like they're just bringing in the partner, making sure that their um, needs are attended, uh, and that's what I've been seeing quite. Uh, in the last few years, that that female, um, I guess, uh, angle where I, I, I wouldn't have expected that before. Uh, it's a very plain um, uh, ground right now. Uh, and in the ages, um, look, it's 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 all across the board. But the the, the millennials are definitely uh, because of social media. I would dare say, uh, especially in our profession, that. We, after a doctor, we are the most trusted individuals in someone's uh, life. So when you see someone on social media, you start to build up trust. And I think that's what has driven um, the, the, the millennials to, to, to come in. And, and even though, obviously, what has happened with COVID, global financial crisis was just around the core. Like it was just a few years ago. That has also enhanced the, the questions around what do I do with my super? Just having access to super back in 2020 made more individuals uh, aware of there is investments in those things. Um, so I think I think it has uh, it, it helped uh, our profession in regards to the demand for our, our, our services is definitely in the uptick, but also the the, the visualization that um, some individuals just reach the limit of their knowledge and, and their understand that uh, help is needed um, at that time. It's interesting you mentioned one thing there because um, I financial advisors being the second most trusted after doctors. In COVID, I think we saw a stat that financial advisors noticed the mental acuity of their customers decreasing before doctors did because they were they were engaging with them more often, especially with the advent of telehealth, which I found really fascinating. And the trend with women is also really interesting. So I think some of the stats that we see coming out of the US, like 40% of US businesses are women-owned. Um, yeah. 90% of household decisions are made by by women, either in partnership with, with their partner or, or by themselves. Um, and we expect around 35% of global wealth to be controlled by women um, in the next few years. So they are becoming, a, 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 a we're heading towards parity, which is a, a great um, direction to be moving in after all these decades we're not quite there yet um, but 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 still there's there's nuances that are, are needed for female investors over males um, just owing to some of the income gap there's still not parity on, on earnings or a savings compared to, to compared to their male colleagues so we've you know in the US we've actually launched model portfolios just for women to address for those things probably there's probably more innovations we can do on that side of things um, but the other thing that we've also noticed is that especially in Australia Australia is a very successful multicultural nation um, mm. and the, the generation coming ahead of us, so younger, I mean, like I put my hand up, I'm a millennial, I'm an older millennial, um, but, but Gen Z and beyond, we, you know, yes, we are seeing more wealth um, being controlled by women. We're seeing more people identify as LGBTQ+. We're seeing more racially diverse client cohorts. Um, are you seeing this in, in the clients that you're dealing with? Are you noticing more diversity now than you did, say, 15 years ago when you started? Yeah, correct. Yeah, absolutely. Not just from even just... Uh... I can see, I can tell you on both sides, not just from the client side, but also on the practitioner side, uh, when you look at uh, who, who, was, who was there 15 years ago, uh, probably 10% were females. Uh, whereas now I think it's up to 30% of, of practitioners are, are females. So it's a, between 20 to 30%, I dare say. Uh, even just not just practitioners, just, just 
the, the, the industry itself, but with clients as well. Um, I feel that, and even just my experience with, with, with who, what the man is being asked for, for from us is, is definitely foreigners. Uh, obviously, I'm a bit biased uh, because of uh, my background and my, my language, uh, whereas uh, obviously being a Spanish speaker, um, most migrants tend to, 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 to hover around their same language is easy for me to explain concepts that are very complex in their own language or even understand their situation because I was one of them at some point. Um, so I think I'm a bit biased towards the, the, the that, that that foreigner uh, demographics. But I looked always uh, at myself as a, as a potential client. So I put myself in, in, in the shoes of the client being myself, meaning when I arrived in Australia, I didn't know anything about the system, superannuation, tax, I had absolutely no idea, but as my, my, my knowledge and my wealth uh, grew, then I was more aware of, okay, I know there's something in super, I should probably contact someone. And then just the media alone, especially when there's stats going around saying, oh, you should have around this much in super by this age. We are a very different cohort because we, we came in later. Like we, we didn't come here. Most Australians start working when they're 16, which I was very impressed. Uh, coming here, we, we in South America, we, we work maybe at 23, 24. That's when you start your working life. Whereas here, there's this, this you push to actually man, be very independent from the day one. If you're 18, you're probably paying rent. So there's very different cultural uh, approaches to, to wealth and, and financials uh, that I was used to. So when I look at um, the migration system in Australia, it's a fantastic tool, even just for lead generations, because you want someone that is educated, that is young, uh, that has a, a good outcome for, because that's how I look at clients. I look at clients, not from a fun component, from how long I'm going to be able to help these individuals. So if I look at someone just with a good, uh, a good outcome, I'll be able to help them for 30 years. That would allow my business to, 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 to be around for a minimum of 30 years. So I'm always thinking around the longevity of, of business and not the fun. Uh, I think, obviously, we'll discuss this in, in, in a few minutes, but uh, around how to approach uh, clients that don't have much fun, but you can see their potential. And I have a few examples, actually, where I, alongside the, the, the my client, I knew that that person had a lot of future. And like, I could just feel it. And I was able to uh, incorporate a model, which is like a subscription model, very similar because most millennials and Gen Zs, they're used to subscription now. So that's what I'm trying to cater. Even just the work subscription is better than ongoing fees. In Literally in a, in a way that a client feels like, well, this is not fees, this is a subscription. It's the same thing, but just the words around it makes it more uh, valuable, makes it more like, I'm already paying Netflix, may as well pay for someone that actually gives me information that helps me. So I think... In the ways you work things, in the way you explain value, um, the, the client that I was telling you about, obviously, we worked together for four years and is now a CEO. So we, we went alongside his progress. Uh, as I knew he was going to be there, uh, but now I have a couple of CEOs in my books as I went with them. So it's always good to have, um, and, and I think they see you differently as you, uh, I guess, both grow together. So it's it's a it's an interesting uh, uh, current scenario for our profession, uh, which because back in probably 15 years ago, it was all basically mostly in fun. How much fun do you have? How much I can take care of? And then the fees were, uh, I guess, catered around that. Whereas now I believe it's mostly per client. What's the 
how is that climb going to be in 20 years? So I, I look at it like that, 20, 30 years. That's interesting. I like your subscription description. Yeah. Of the, that's that's interesting. One thing I was just wondering maybe from, from both of you, James, as well, is, you know, you've talked about so many different clients here, you know, the, the younger ones with not much fun yet, the the retirees, the the migrants, the et cetera, et cetera. That presumes they all need different solutions. How how do you cope with do you tackle a wide range of clients, Pedro, for instance, or do yeah. you target certain areas? Yeah. So, for example, yesterday I was talking to a a, a, a potential uh, two way street referral uh, SME, and one of the things I was explaining to that person was the categorization of potential leads in based on their, their demographics, so their age, their income, their goals. So if it's a first home buying, like, look, I, was, I can make a lot of impact there. The middle ones, depending on the situation, but also the ones that are over fifties. In that 50 areas where we can put a lot of value back very immediate. So I was explaining around how much value do we give based on time. So those ones at the beginning is immediate. It's very quick value. Like where, it's, for example, first home super saver scheme. That's an immediate tax uh, return that we can have an impact. So it's very easy for me to like, explain that to someone. In the middle ground where there's a foundation, a family's already started, there's debt, et cetera. The value is not a seen because it's 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 an un, unseen value. Whether it's we're just preparing for the future, the value is seen in twenty, maybe thirty years. Like protecting your wealth. I was talking to a doctor the other day, and this will stick for me for life. It was like her uh, farm was minimal; it was very very low. But the the way in which she described, thank you for protecting my biggest asset, which is my brain. The the capacity for me to earn it's here, and it was it was she was right. She was like, oh, of course. Because you can make forty million dollars in your lifetime, but it's all based on your on protecting that brain, which is your asset, your biggest asset right now. So that's probably the middle cohort. Just the value is not immediate; it's a long term. We have to we have to be very very careful how we express value in that middle range. And obviously, your 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 retirees, in which it's much easier. I'm able to do recontribution strategies or uh, transition to retirement. There's a whole bunch of strategies in that late ladder cohort where value is immediate, very, very simplistic. And it's usually when they can see, I don't have to explain it. I say, hey, I'm giving you this X amount. Um, across the all is peace of mind. I always say say to clients, with peace of mind, I can't quantify it in dollars. Uh, but obviously, I go back to how do you express value is key in all three, and you have to be very clear from the beginning in how long will that value be in their in their in their um, spectrums. So the ways in which I so I think it was four years ago um, I became paperless, absolutely paperless, um, and wow, I, okay. I, yeah, so no paper for me. Uh, it, it was the best decision ever because it saves me time. I don't have to have to be going to the office to collect something that then I later have to go back to scan. It's, mm-hmm. Everything is digital. Um, but then obviously there the, the, there were cohorts of individuals who who, who have to bring into the, the this millennium. So it wasn't it, it, most of my clients were easy because I was like sign here in a, in, in, a, in a Microsoft Surface. But there were others like, look, this is exactly like a piece of paper. Put your hand in there. Don't don't stress. Uh, and <laughs> some take a little bit of handheld uh, hand holding, but uh, overall, everyone understands. If you if you tell them the benefit, I say, 
I'm not chopping up trees. I'm saving on ink. It's a cost. It's just, they're like, understand. Like, okay, no, I know what you mean. Yeah, this makes sense. And they make the effort to, to come on board with you. So just, just a couple of things that I've changed uh, on my practice that uh, has helped me deliver uh, a bit of efficiencies all, all across the, the board. Well, I wonder how much your brain's worth. Sounds pretty, pretty expensive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, look, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, James, you mentioned earlier that BlackRock had portfolios in the US. I think it was now specifically for women. So mm. w- what's different there? What do they need that's different, do you think, or, or what do those portfolios offer differing to the normal ones? Um, well, so those are target date portfolios. So they're, they're kind of built around a, a particular retirement uh, year that the, the, you know, the individual will be targeting. Um, they differ from our other model portfolios because they're trying to address the, typically the, the gap in savings that we see between men and women. So they, they, they might have a bit of a different skew between growth and defensive assets. Um, we also see preferences for certain cohorts around um, ESG preferences as well. So um, I think more than uh, more than 55 or 60% of women that we surveyed said they are interested in sustainable investing versus 45% of men. Um, so hence, you know, the solutions tend to have more of a, a skew towards kind of ESG type uh, exposures to address the preference for that. Um, is a US market. I think if you look across the cohorts in Australia, I mean, ESG hasn't grown as much. That being said, I think with the younger generations, um, that there is more focus on sustainability, um, but just in maybe in different implementation versions or guises compared to ESG. Um, so the, the, yeah, there's, there's definitely a difference between you know different uh, different cohorts of investors, especially on the emerging side. Um, but we're seeing advisors kind of tackle this in different ways because um, you, you, you spoke earlier and you kind of said like tomorrow's clients, their clients are about to retire. So how do you service retiring clients differently? Because when someone retires, their needs from you as an advisor completely change. Uh, so how, how do you kind of, how do you build down a drawdown strategy? How do you kind of think about your, your, your needs in retirement, which are going to be different to when you're, when you're working? Um, and we see a lot of clients kind of erring towards the side of becoming a wealth coach, focusing on well-being, what is purpose in retirement, how do you want to lead a, a retired life, and then working backwards to think around what the financial plan looks like. So not just starting off with, this is your income, see you later. It's more around, you know, what do you want to kind of get out of life and kind of working backwards. Um, and then on the flip side, when you think about the next generation um, and some of the things that Pedro was mentioning kind of resonated there, um, but how do you help the next generation save for uh, um, safe for their financial future they're typically low balance so that you can't give all of them advice as you would do the higher balance clients which means that we've actually seen a lot of advice practices here and over and overseas um, develop some sort of general advice offering of their managed accounts via their website that that's that tends to be a, a big development area at the moment um, but at the very least, what we see a lot of advisors doing is just starting to engage with the children of their existing clients. Some have even bought, built creches in their offices so they can actually bring them in wow. um, and kind of just create that kind of family environment. So it, it's about kind of building that multi-generational um, relationship with families. And there's there's one advice practice I spoke to not too long ago in Canberra when 
they've built a whole business around advising the generations of different families. And one family, I think they had four generations on their books in terms of clients. Um, So just kind of thinking ahead means that, you know, you've got a better chance of retaining those assets when, you know, inheritance does start happening. Um, I think the stats tell us that, you know, 85% of assets are lost from advice practices when that that kind of transition happens. I think, Pedro, from what you've been saying, you've got that well underhand in, in your business. Yeah, so I, I took the out-of-the-box approach. So social media is huge. And, and obviously talking to clients around what is your, what are your uh, children doing uh, and just being being present in their life by just not being an, an advisor alone. It's just like, hey, uh, my, my daughter's going overseas. Like, hey, look, I, I got friends and family overseas. Make sure that they reach out if there's a problem and they understand who I am uh, because that you are correct. I've seen the stats of... Uh, if 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 clients were to pass, uh, the, the the big I think it was if if there's an advisor, half of them take the money away and, and off they go. Uh, I think it was twenty five percent that is left, uh, basically wanted to manage themselves, and the other twenty five will stay with the advisor. So that's 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 quite a dreadful uh, stats. Where when I go look, um, the idea is to make sure that 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 money stays or just even just education like just providing education and 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 that empowers them to to think on their own because sometimes especially when you're young you just don't understand uh, because you don't have the 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 educational component around what to do with a large sum of money Uh, even millionaires or not millionaires um lottery winners i think on average i don't know how what's the a what's the time frame but the most of them go broke uh, because they don't have the, the and I even post uh, stories like that on, on Instagram around uh, what happens if you win the lottery and I put uh, like a, a four uh, multiple question and one of them I should call Pedro as a joke but kind of not as a joke because <laughs> yeah because effectively and then I put the stats around that look x amount of people uh, after winning the lottery become broke with an x amount of time because obviously their, 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 their perception of money is very different uh, or becomes different once you have almost on limited wealth, uh, which I was actually interviewing the other day on one of my podcasts, uh, one of my clients who had unlimited wealth, she, it, was, it was basically what she was saying, the value of money becomes extremely different. So going back probably to your question around children, uh, the, the way in which I approach it is, is, is a two-way, two-way street, which is be very, very present on social media. Social media in, in this era is your first step for attaining trust from a future client without even shaking a hand, without being giving a referral, your image on the web is important. And the second would be just making sure that you have a conversation with them, like whether it is one-on-one or uh, bring them on. I can usually tell clients to, if you want to add a bit more value to your children, especially if you were to pass, bring it on on a meeting or two. More than happy to have them around and ask questions, and that gets them in a, in a mindset that Pedro is also my advisor. So it's a it's it's a very interesting way, but I always try to do as much as I can outside the box. And I think tech's playing a big role in that, obviously, you know, with um, social Absolutely. media, but also the ability for advice practice to kind of offer 
their their models kind of you know via via their website under general advice for example is, is a Correct. tech player and there's more and more tech players out there coming out there kind of to enable you to do that but even on the retirement side we're seeing more retirement tools more spending tools and you know the supers the supers are doing this now because they have to yeah. start thinking about giving advice um but we're seeing that becoming more proficient or um more used within the general wealth community to kind of help clients think through accumulation and decumulation decumulation effectively using an interface that is really easy to understand yeah and i think uh, i was telling i tell this a lot is like pre-2000 the commodities of the world were actual commodities like your your gold your oil etc post-2000 it was data Data was the biggest commodity, so we needed to manage data, analyze big amounts of data. And I believe our current commodity is attention. Having someone's attention for two seconds is the biggest piece of the puzzle, which is so hard right now. There's so much noise out there. We underestimate how big it is to have our image in someone's face for one second. So I think social media plays a big part in putting ourselves, not just in our children's, uh, our, our clients' children's faces, but also potential clients. Like it's a mass media uh, tool. So I think uh, most advisors, as I can see, are catching up with social media. Uh, I think they know if they see this as a as a as an actual great tool. Um, but obviously, looking at the demographics of advisors uh, in Australia, I think the, the, the general advisor is around 50, usually a male. So it's much harder to actually, um, and, and I will say this to anyone who's listened to this, is spend money to do it right. Don't be cheap because it, it, it backfires. Doing something on your phone uh, is very different to paying someone to do a video for you. Very different. Uh, obviously, the first view is absolutely terrifying. It is definitely outside everyone's comfort zone. Well, not everyone, but most people. Uh, but the more you do it, the easier it gets. So, Pedro, it's interesting. I know often we hear advisors saying their main source of new clients is referrals. You know, their clients, existing clients are happy. And they tell their friends, etc. So for the younger people particularly, is technology then social media or an app or whatever a better way of getting them in? Absolutely. So the, the two ways, uh, I, well, I started my business with zero client, zero fund, nothing. This was around three three years ago. I had around 100 and 130 clients right now, and that was all based from zero. I didn't spend any marketing. It was all mostly, well, Marketing would be I spend money on videos and on pictures on pretty much establishing an, an image online that that was that was worth someone looking at it. So effectively, I I believe that in order for me to get someone's trust, you have to be seen as the real deal. Like spending spending the right amount of money in in the visualization of your of your website in the. Uh, I use a lot of Instagram. So my referrals, yes, a big chunk has come from my own clientele, but it also has uh, Instagram and LinkedIn has been my major source of referrals. Every time I say this, people say, no way. It's like, man, yes, there is absolutely a market there. Uh, and it's, it's because they, it, 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 social media is like you're there, you're right next to them. So when you're talking to someone, it's like literally they feel like that you're in front of them. So that trust, that barrier of trust is, is lower very quickly. And they go, okay, uh, let me let me see more about Pedro. Let me inquire. Even they'll follow you for a few years before they actually click on your, on, on your message and say something. So I, I think, yeah, for, for myself personally, uh, Instagram has been one of the best tools 
uh, I, I've had it in, in, in my arsenal. Yeah, well, we've seen we've seen a similar trend across all our clients. Like establish, establishing your brand in social media is the best way to kind of grow your business and, and get yourself out there. And we actually do a lot of workshops with clients here and in the US on how to market yourself. Oh, we lost oh, James. Well, that's unfortunate, but perhaps a time that we could end the podcast anyway. Um, assuming that James is not able to join us again in the next few minutes, I'll just say thank you to James Kingston from BlackRock and Pedro Marin from Marin Wealth for the really good discussion today. And one on an issue that obviously all advisors need to think about in terms of building their business and keeping their business into the future. So just before we go, I want to end the podcast by highlighting the IMAP 2024 Portfolio Management Conference being held in Melbourne and Sydney in March. This conference provides an opportunity to hear from leading fund managers, economists and other market experts on key trends impacting your portfolios now and in the medium term. And you can find out a lot more about that now on the IMAP website. 